greetings to Seeing Global Church and especially welcome to all those who are watching online either today or at some other time uh, from another country or around New Zealand. We just welcome you and bless you and I know this message is going to be just such a blessing to you. The other night I uh, began to speak and share in the devotional that we did. I spoke a message called Redeeming the Time and uh, I know this was quite impacting for many people so I want to pick that up and follow it on. Uh, and, uh, and I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me very strongly today. So I know you're going to uh, enjoy what I have to share. So I want to talk this time on follow-up, redeeming your time with investing your time, investing your time. So uh, let's just get started. We've got a bit we want to cover today. So first thing is we all only have a measure of time allocated to us. There's a tendency for us to think that while we're healthy, our life is going to go on forever. When you're younger, you think your life will go on forever. But the key, a key thing to understand is we only have a measure of time allocated. Listen here in, in Psalm 90, verses 1 through to, uh, and 2. This is the prayer of Moses, the man of God. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place all generations before the mountains were brought forth. Wherever you formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So notice this, he's talking about God. He's describing that God is beyond time. Time is only relevant to a physical world. Time is the sequence of events that progresses. But God lives in eternities from everlasting to everlasting. So he is not limited by time. He's, he, he lives and dwells in eternity. And then he goes on in verse 10. He says, now, the day, if the days of our life are 70 years or if by reason of strength they're 80 years, their boast is only labor and sorrow, and it is soon cut off and we fly away. So after talking about God being eternal, now he says our life is really limited. Maybe 70, maybe 80 years, who knows? Uh, it could be longer, it could be shorter. And then he says, here's the key thing. He says, now teach us or be intimate with us. This is literally the word, be intimate with us, to number or carefully count and use and apply our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, that we might apply a heart to wisdom. So his, his prayer is teach us, or he's asking God to reveal the shortness of time and the importance of every day and how you use every day. To number our days, God is from everlasting to everlasting, but we're only short. And uh, so that raises a great question. When you think of eternity, 70 or 80 years is a very little bit compared to eternity. Uh, James puts it another way. He says, what is your life? James 4.14, uh, it's just a vapor. It appears for a little while, then it's gone. So uh, a vapor is something with little substance in it. It's like it, uh, it's just temporary. It's in the air, then the vapor is gone. Not like something of, of substance. In describing God, he uses the word weighty. Kabod, glory. So God is substantial. He's everlasting and eternal. But our life is like a vapor. It's very temporary and uh, it passes away very quick. So the choices we, we make on a day-by-day -day basis accumulate to have eternal consequences for your life. You may think the little thing you're doing or the unimportant thing you're doing is unimportant, but actually uh, all the little choices we make the choice, what we decide to do, uh, where we invest our time, and the way we go about doing it, the spirit we're doing in it, all of those things are accumulating and shaping and forming our life. 
So for example, your life now is the consequence of the little decisions you made over a course of time. Your finances mostly are the consequence of little choices you made over time. Your relationships, the consequences of little choices made over time. So uh, we must not waste our time in things which have no real value. And so all around us are things that are pulling on your time in order to get you to consume your time on things unimportant. And we shared in the last message, I shared about social media, how it, it, uh, it proposes this is a wonderful way of connecting, this is, can help your life, but the deception in it really is that those value, that value is quite small compared to its true agenda, which is to take as much of your time as possible. And so Facebook and all these other things are designed in order to attract you and draw you in so you end up with a lot of your time wasted on things that have no eternal value. In other words, it's a trap to steal your time. And uh, we saw your time is your life. So we have to not be, be careful. We've got to be responsible for our life. Every day you have is the only day you can live. Today is the day you live. Don't worry about tomorrow, the Bible says, but be present, fully engaged, and active in today, in now. And of course, those things like social media will take you out of now and distract you and put you somewhere else. And uh, God wants us to be present. So uh, the second thing is that uh, I want to share is that at uh, that time, has been, we are entrusted time and talents and treasure. Every person has got a measure of time. For some it's longer, some it's shorter, but everyone has a time measured out to you. If it was measured out to you, and the Bible seems to imply that, uh, when it says in Psalm 139, it says, uh, all the days of our lives are written in your book. In other words, it implies that God has a scroll and seeing from eternity, he sees every day of your life and it's all written there and he has described a plan for those days. So, uh, so we are to be very careful or to realize that we have time entrusted to us. Now, we look in uh, Ephesians 5 and uh, I want to show you from verse 15 through to 18. And uh, if you just look that up now, Ephesians 5 verse 15, See then that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine, uh, but be filled with the Spirit. Now notice the instructions that are given here. There's several instructions given to us, and the context about uh, this is acting wisely, not acting foolishly. Like for example, it says, don't be unwise. It's really saying, don't be stupid, don't be a fool. So it tells us to be wise, not to see that you walk. Your walk is your life. It's made up of all the little choices that you make. See that you walk cautiously or carefully, not as a fool, but as a wise person. So notice the first the five instructions. Let me just go through them. The first one, walk carefully, or in other words, consider your daily choices and activities, what you're doing, uh, how you're doing it, and who you're doing it with. In other words, think about your life. Think about your choice. Don't just blunder on. The Bible says the fool blunders on and then ends up in trouble, but the wise man sees ahead and he conceals himself or takes good steps. So small daily decisions accumulate and form your life. Now here's the question. It's not the decision you made with what to do with today, but the little choices in your life, where are the arc of your choices trending your life? 
Is your life trending closer to God and fuller into knowing Him, to becoming like Him and into His purposes? Or is the arc of your life trending away from God? And slowly, little by little, passion is dying or whatever. So, so that, that means I've got to make decisions what kinds of things will lead me closer to God and closer to His purposes for my life. And as I keep making those little decisions in little ways, my life, without me seeing one of the decision's consequences, little by little, they lead my life in a certain direction. So, so for most people, you don't know what are the little choices they're making, but over time, you see the arc of their life. And you see the person who's been wise with their finances, they have substance behind them. They have an inheritance for their children and their grandchildren. You see in a person's marriage, if a person's built wisely in their marriage, you see the outcome is a happy marriage in the latter years of their life. If a person's built wisely in family, you see the outcome later on in life with the way the children relate to them and the way they relate to the grandchildren, and so on. So it's like over the course of your life, the little decisions which seemed unimportant, trivial, didn't seem to make much difference, over time accumulated and then became the course of your life. So it says walk carefully. In second it says redeem the time so time is like money once you spend it uh, we spend money uh, when we spend money we're spending our life you, earn, you work and earn money money then is your life in a tangible form you spend the money you really are exchanging your money for something that you consider valuable so time like money is put into the things you think are valuable so therefore to redeem the time I need to make sure I'm careful about I need to think about where I invest my time I need to think, what am I spending my time on? And uh, think about where my time is going. So you can track your time on one of these modern phones. You can have a look. It'll give you a reminder. And you'll see, ooh, I'd spent all that time looking and following through Facebook and going, did, 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 and flip-flopping here and whatever. I got seduced, and my time was taken away. It's astonishing how much time goes without you realizing it. So in other words, to redeem the time, I need to, number one, I need to make a decision. I'm going to be wise in how I spend my time. Two, I've got to keep track of it and prioritize where it'll go. So three, it says, don't be unwise or don't be foolish. Don't act, uh, act wisely. So unwise, that word unwise, don't be unwise, but redeem the time. Unwise means to be mindless. You're not thinking. You're not, it means to be ignorant, stupid, rash, or just self-centered. So it's saying, don't be ignorant or stupid or self-centered or unthinking. Don't just drift on with the crowd. Be decisive about where your life is going. Think about eternity. You have eternity in mind. A fool literally lives for the moment. Their decisions are emotionally and uh, they're, based, they're based on circumstances and feelings. Uh, in, the, in the story of the rich man uh, in Luke 12, to 12 he, he grew so wealthy. He said, hey, what am I going to do? I know what I'll do. I'll use my money. I'll build bigger barns. And that very night, the Lord spoke to him and said, you're a fool. Now, if we looked at him from uh, a natural perspective rather than eternal, we'd say, what a smart man. You've got all that money. Look at it. Now he's going to put up new buildings and whatever. What a great guy he is. And, uh, but the, from God's perspective, God said to him, you're a fool because Tonight, your soul is required. Tonight, you'll stand before me and give account for your life. What are all these things you've accumulated going to do for you? In other words, have you invested anything into the realm of eternity? Have you built treasure in heaven, or is your treasure here on earth, and you're going to leave it all behind? So in other words, how have you invested your time? How have you invested your talents? How have you invested the treasures you have? So it says, don't be unwise. Don't be foolish. It's very easy to act foolishly, and that just means you don't think about where your life is going. 
It's a real problem for this young generation. Think where your life is going and don't let the crowd set your course. You decide your course in harmony with your relationship with the Lord. And so it says, it says uh, understand what the will of God is for your life. So uh, it, it, God, he commands us in this issue of redeeming the time. In the context of using your time, it says you need to understand what God has planned for your life. Now, lots of people have a plan for your life. And if you just follow the crowd and are unthinking or unwise, then you won't flow into God's plan. To find God's plan requires the pursuit of God. It requires time in his presence, time thinking about your life, maybe time getting uh, mentoring or coaching from someone until you begin to discover this is what God has planned for my life. So uh, the plan of God for our life uh, requires then that I seek it. It's like a scroll that unravels little by little by little. I've got to find the bit now he wants me to do and begin to act on that. And so it requires some pursuit of God to understand his will. I need to read the word of God. I study the word of God, then I'll know what the word, what the will of God is. It's laid out clearly. It's not complex. Study what the will of God is. And uh, uh, there's many scriptures that explain exactly what the will of God is. So I need to apply myself wisely means I find what God's will is. I begin to work it out and I begin to discover his bigger purpose for my life and, and make decisions, little decisions that keep moving me towards God's eternal plan and eternal destiny for my life. And the more I listen and respond, the sharper my spiritual sensitivity gets and the more I then invest my time in ways which are productive. And finally, he says, be filled with the Spirit, meaning give some time every day to pray, fill, get filled with the Holy Ghost, surrender the Holy Ghost, because you need the power and presence of God to fulfill your course, to fulfill your assignment, to do the things God called you to do. You need the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to overflow with the fruit of the Spirit in your life. In other words, in order to live out the life God planned, you need the power and presence of the Holy Ghost. Next Sunday's Pentecost Sunday. Let's get filled again with the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Spirit. Okay, here's the third thing then. Time is a treasure to invest. Time then is a treasure. If there's something you only have a limited amount of, then every bit of it is something important. If you can't get it back, it's very, very important. So the, the first thing about that then is your money, uh, time like your money, is spent or traded. Time like your money is spent or traded. What does that mean? It means you exchange your time for something else. It brings you pleasure or sows into someone's life or advances some cause or so on. So wherever you invest your time then, you're investing your life. You invest your time into activities. They either have value or they have little value or they're destructive to you. You spend a lot of time gambling, then it'll be destructive to you. It'll have a long-term impact that'll diminish finances and change every other part of your life. But when you start off, it just seems like a little choice to spend a little time. It's just the trend of it is destructive. So you invest your time into activities. You can spend time watching television, spend time flicking around on your phone, spend time calling a friend, you can spend time visiting a friend, you can spend time working, you can spend time studying, you can spend time uh, developing a gift or a, or a talent you have, you can spend time in a rela building relationships with people. But whatever it is, you need to understand you, you spend your time, you give out time in return for something else, even though it may not be apparent what that is. So, your talents, it takes time to develop your talents. It also takes time to grow wealth and finances. So uh, whatever you invest your time into then needs to, uh, it will always reflect what you value, what's important. So if lying in bed is important, you'll spend time lying in bed. 
That's as simple as that. If having time with God is important, you get up and have time with God. In other words, if I was to look at either your checkbook or your calendar where your time went, I'd see what's important. It always shows up, time and money. It shows where your heart is. It shows what you think is valuable. And that's where the world brings a deception upon us to conform to its way of doing priorities in life so that it can steal from you the better and bigger and eternal things that God has. So time can be intentionally invested. We get an eternal reward. Time can be wasted and we lose what God has planned for us. So here's the next thing about it. Once you've spent your time, you can't recover it. Once you spend your time, you can't get it back. So for example, uh, life goes through stages. We're growing up, we have teenage years, we have young uh, adult years, then the young couple years, then uh, married with some younger children, married with teenagers, then children have gone. So it goes in seasons or in phases uh, in our life. And so here's the thing, that in each season in life, there are opportunities you can get hold of. When the season's over, you can't get the time back. So many people realize I didn't invest time in my marriage. Now my marriage is a mess. I didn't invest time in my children and now they're, dis they're disengaged, they're distant and so on. Or I've invested time into the wrong things. And so once you spend time, you can't recover it. That's why the Bible says redeem the time. And the word redeem means pay a price to get something back. Pay a price to get something back. Now you can't get back the time you've lost. The time you've lost is lost. But with, the, ability, with the, the power of the Holy Spirit, we can redeem time. In other words, we can make decisions that change the course of our life, that cause our life to go in a more productive and better direction. That's why it says in Ephesians 5, be wise, redeem the time. So what does it mean, redeem the time? Now, redeem the time means I pay a price. In other words, uh, it's going to cost me something to, to do this action. So uh, redeeming the time begins when you give the first and best of your time to the Lord. It's like the first fruits of your day, the first fruits of your week, first fruits of your month. You, you consider time as an investment. And now the first place I put that investment is with the Lord, because if I give him the first fruits and the best of my time, then his blessing comes on the rest of the use of my time. And then I have a favor with God and a favor with man operating over the rest of my time. So I need to give the very first, the very best, engage him in worship and set my clear direction in his presence for the day. Uh, if, and, and the thing is, it begins with that, but then it continues as I choose to align my values and priorities with his values and his priorities. So redeeming the time then means given the first fruits of my time, and then uh, having done that, start to rethink my priorities, my values. Seek first the kingdom of God, all the other things will come to you. So rather than be worried about all the other things, spend time on worry, which doesn't get you anywhere. I invest time in making God first and his priorities first, and then the other things are added to me without my, uh, the same kind of effort. So, so if I'm going to redeem the time, I need to value my time because only a certain amount of it. When you get a bit older, there's less of it. So you, you're more concerned it's running out. Uh, be thoughtful. Reflect on where you're spending your time. Where, where is it all going? Have a look where your time is all going and then make choices. Uh, re, reprioritize your time around what is important, what is eternal. Now remember, when you, when you make choices to honor God, when you make choices to flow in, in harmony with his will for your life, there's a cost. You could be sleeping in, but you're up praying. There's a price 
and you've invested your time here. Uh, when you spend time studying the Word of God, listening to messages, uh, starting to grow in spiritual maturity, you could be watching TV. You let go TV. You exchange that, which is an easy, passive activity, in exchange for something which requires more effort, but better, produces a better result. So we need to let go activities which consume our time and take us out of God's purpose and focus on activities which lead us more and more into God's purpose. So you've got to really think, where is my time all going? What am I going to do with it? What would I invest my time into? Now, God is not interested in, or well, he's interested in every aspect of our life, but his priority is not just uh, what we do. It's what we're becoming as we do things. He is interested in conforming our life to become like Jesus. So we tend to think in terms of serving God, of all the great mighty things, going to the world, preaching God, all that kind of thing. But for most people, their life is made up of very mundane little things all day. And so it'd be very easy, for example, if you're a mother, you've got four children, and you've got very little time on your hands, and what time you've got, you're tired, it'd be very easy to feel condemned. But God's not, he's not worried about the fact that you can't go out doing great things. He just says, take every part of your day to day, give the first fruits to me, and then allow me to flow through you into all the other activities. It's not about the what you're doing, it's about what you're becoming. Now you could be becoming resentful and embittered and, and, and uh, wearied and burdened, or you can be becoming a gracious, sweet, loving uh, person with a capacity to influence the next generation. So never, it's not whether you're out there doing this or out there doing that. It's what you are becoming with the things that God has put in front of you to do. So for all of us, there are at least three things we should invest time in. And one is developing intimacy with God. And maybe you can't spend every day an hour in prayer, but you can spend the first portion and then on the way through the day, be talking to him and bringing him in consciously into what you're doing. You're investing your time. Uh, God uh, expects us to, to invest into growing into maturity. That means I need to process issues and I need to allow God to work with me to grow character, to help me deal with the pain and reactions of past things that have happened. That's an investment. That's using your time to develop your character and your inner life to become more and more like Jesus. Uh, I need to discover and spend time on fulfilling the assignment God's gave me, which uh, is unique to every one of us. So whatever God has called you to, invest time. But, but don't just invest time into it. It's the way you invest that time. You invest it with prayer. You invest it with joy. You invest it with a, a gratitude that God has given this assignment for you. Now, it doesn't matter what the assignment is. It's all the way you see it and approach it. And that makes all the difference. So when you spend time loving and serving people, uh, uh, then uh, God's people, then you are flowing into the things God has for you. All of the kingdom activity is about relationships. So it takes effort and it takes discipline to focus your time. So are you focusing your time? Remember, the wise man pays the price of time and effort to invest in things of value. The foolish man does not invest in those things. The foolish man pays the price. He surrenders his time, surrenders his energy, maybe, <laughs> and does things which are either distractive or which slowly erode the life of God in him. So uh, it may, but you have to understand in both cases, the outcome or consequences are eternal. Now, I want to show you out of one of the stories or parables that Jesus spoke, uh, some, some incredible principles that you need to get into your heart that, that will affect how you use your time. So here they are. Uh, in Luke chapter 19 and verse 11, Jesus is teaching. 
Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So he said this, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and return. So he called 10 of his servants, delivered to them 10 pounds or 10 miners and said to them, occupy or do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And it was so when he returned, having received the kingdom, he commanded those servants to whom he given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Now, of course, there's more in the story as well. I only want to cover this part here because my focus in this part of the is, is on time, the use of your time. So notice here, first thing is it's a parable, which is a story which contains a hidden truth. And that story, the context of the story, is the disciples are thinking that the kingdom of God will manifest immediately. So he tells the story to shift their thinking. It's not going to manifest immediately. There is a period of time going to take place before it manifests. That's the flow of the story. And then within the story, he tells about the importance of what you do with your time, how you invest your time. So there it is. So the story has got a hidden uh, message in it, and that is the rewards of faithful stewardship of time and giftings that God has given you. So let's have a look at the insights from the story, and uh, they're absolutely wonderful. Uh, first of all, the nobleman. The word nobleman is a high-ranking man coming from an exalted family. Who is the nobleman? That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the nobleman. He's the son of God and the son of man. Secondly, uh, it says he, he went into a far country. That far country Jesus has ascended into is heaven. And so it's called a far country. And uh, after Jesus' uh, death and resurrection, then he spoke on the kingdom of God for 40 days. Then he ascended into heaven and he will remain there until his second coming. The second coming of the Lord is the great hope of the church. That is, if you understand what it is and what it's about. This is a little bit about what it's about. And it says to receive for himself a kingdom. So uh, Jesus saying then that the, this noble man went into the far country and he would receive for himself a kingdom. So Jesus himself is the noble man. He's ascended into heaven to be crowned king of kings. In other words, Jesus ascended into heaven for his coronation as king of kings, meaning emperor. He's the great emperor. Uh, an emperor is a ruler over kingdoms which are all governed by kings. And Jesus is an emperor. He has an empire. And he says, and then to return and to establish that kingdom on the earth. Notice it says, then he returns. Uh, Jesus entered the earth as a lamb. He came in the first time as a lamb. He showed the characteristics of God is uh, gentle and humble. And he yielded to his father. He gave up his life as the lamb of God. And as the lamb of God, he paid the price to redeem us from sin, redeem us from curses, and to give us access to be restored to sonship. But remember, the purpose of all of that is not just that we would have our sins forgiven, get to heaven. It's that we would become sons of the living God and then would outwork and mature in our service in the years on earth to qualify for what he has in the kingdom coming. So notice he entered the earth as a lamb. He will return. The Bible describes him in Revelations 5, 5. He will come back as the lion of the tribe of Judah to conquer the earth. 
and the book of Revelation, most people, when they're reading it or hearing about it, all thinking about the beast and the Antichrist. Listen, that's not the book. The book is written. It includes that. But the book's primary focus is the revelation of Jesus Christ, his glorious coming, and all the great events that surround that. So within the book of Revelation, it describes uh, turmoil in the earth far beyond this pandemic we've seen. It'll be far, far, far greater and will affect far more many people. And so he returns as an emperor coming to establish his kingdom, and that's going to introduce great upheaval and change. And uh, the second uh, coming of the Lord is, of course, the great hope of the, of the church. This is what we look for. We look forward to his coming. And it says in 1 John 3, verse 3, everyone who has this hope of his coming, it says they purify themselves uh, as he is pure. In other words... The hope of Jesus coming and the prospect of eternal reward with him gives us motivation then to purify our life. The purify means to free from mixture. It means to become motivated fully by a love and a passion for him. This means to be pure and without agenda. Notice it said that the king entrusted the servants with the pounds. Each servant got one pound each. And notice it said the servant. Now, uh, servant, uh, those who recognize who Jesus is and are employed or they're involved in serving him. And so uh, once we're born again, we all become a servant of God. Every person who's born again is a servant of God. And each of you has a personal assignment that comes from him. And he puts us in a community called the church which is to equip us to fulfill our assignment. That's why God built the church. It's a community where we're equipped to grow for fruitful service for the Lord, not to remain children, not to just turn up to a service once a week and that's the end of it. No, we're called to be the people of God. The church is a community within which we form relationships, there's teaching, instruction, correction, discipling, so that we grow to become all that God wants us to be. You don't just get there automatically. We need the help of others, and we need a community for it to take place in. Notice it says there were 10 servants. The number 10 signifies all of the servants. 10 commandments, 10 plagues. In other words, number 10 refers to the complete number. So there were 10 servants. That means this is referring to all the servants. So every servant of Jesus Christ, every person who's a believer in Christ, is a servant of Jesus Christ, and we're all given an entrustment uh, in order to now work out our serving him on the earth. And it says uh, we've been given an entrustment, and he will one day come and call us to account. So all the servants, there's an expectation that they will be faithful. Do you understand? We're now not talking about salvation, whether you're saved or not saved. We're talking about your service, how you live out your Christian life, how faithful you are to the call of Jesus Christ on your life. Are you faithful to him? Are you not faithful to him? Now, faithfulness is not just something that just happens. Faithfulness is cultivated over the course of time. So you have a season of time on earth, and either we die, and then we see him at his coming, or... Uh, he, he comes and then he calls us to account at that time. Notice this, it says in 1 Corinthians 4, 1, let, us, let a man so consider us as servants in Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So Paul's saying, uh, consider us, we're a servant of Christ and we're a steward. We all have a revelation of the truth. Now we're a steward of it. And he said, and it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And notice this, it's required of a steward or a servant that a man be found faithful. That word required means to seek to find, to desire, or to require and demand something from someone. In other words, 
He says it's required of a servant. Now, you and I are servants of the Lord. It's required. God is seeking to find this in you. God is looking for this quality in you. It says it's required uh, that a a steward, that one be found faithful. To be found means to look by inquiry, observation of character or activities. So Jesus himself will inspect your character, your activities, what you have done over the course of your life. He will inspect all of those things and what he's looking for, have you cultivated faithfulness? Have you become faithful? The word faithful, notice all the 10 stewards are expected to be faithful to Jesus until he comes. Now, what does it look like? Notice he says, do business or occupy till I come. So each service, every servant, every believer in Jesus Christ is given a mandate by Jesus to occupy till he comes. In other words, be active in the Father's business, be active in serving God. Now, coming to churches, that's not the full deal. Coming to churches where we gather as community, now there's opportunities for service in the church, but if that's all it was, if that's all it meant, then that limits how many people can be involved. But God sees the work of his kingdom and our stewardship flowing into every arena of life. If all you have is a church mentality, you're thinking about a service and a meeting. If you have a kingdom mentality, you're thinking about what kind of life am I living? Am I living to honor Jesus? Am I living to demonstrate myself faithful in the assignment he has given me? And uh, whatever that might be. So notice the the word uh, uh, do business or occupy till I come. The The primary meaning is to be busy or make it your occupation. Or putting it another way, that serving the Lord and honoring him and bringing him into everything we do is our occupation in life. It's what we give our life for. You can't compartmentalize it and put little on Sunday and the rest I do whatever I want. He's talking about the life you're living being a life of bringing God into the earth in all that you do. Notice that Jesus at the age of 12 said, he said, I must be about my father's business. So even at 12, he had a, he had a full understanding, I'm required. I'm required to give my life to study and preparation because I'm occupied in fulfilling my father's business. My father's business is the advancement of his kingdom on the earth. The father's business is bringing the supernatural power of God into the earth. Father's business is saving people. The father's business is building people. Father's business always involves people and the supernatural realm of God. And, uh, and so it, notice that it said there, it says in Luke 19, verse 15, it was so when he returned, having received the kingdom, he commanded the servants whom he'd given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Now notice, what is he looking for? He's looking that what he has put into your life as a seed now has been developed. Have you developed what God put into your life? So God invests his life into you as a seed. Now you are responsible for your personal growth, for your character growth, for fruit bearing, for investment of your time and your energy and talents to become productive. So notice it said, he came to look how much every man had gained by trading. Now the word trade means to occupy yourself or conduct a business in order to get a profit out of the business. Uh, It means to make an exchange of one thing for another. So what we do is we exchange our time our energy, our efforts, and we give it in exchange for something that God will return to us. So how much have you gained? How many lives have been impacted by your life? That's what it's really looking at. So, uh, and you notice he said uh, he, he's looking for people that will be faithful. Now, 
The word faithful means two things. It means, number one, that you are reliable in carrying out your assignment. Some people haven't even discovered their assignment, don't understand or have a perspective, I have an assignment, but all sons have daughters have assignments. You have something God called you uniquely to do. It's your job to find that out. And uh, so the first meaning of faithful means to be reliable. You can be trusted to do what you're supposed to do the way God wants you to do it. To be faithful means to be productive and to gain something through the course of your life, to be investing uh, in people, investing in advancing the kingdom of God in some way. So I need to faithfully invest that, that time that I have. Now notice that when he comes back, he has in mind, in, or what he has in view, is that he will reward the investment of our time in our life. And so time invested well or productively will be rewarded. So the issue is, not, again, not whether you're saved or not saved. That's decided when you receive Christ. The issue here is the evaluation of the service for Jesus over the course of your lifetime. Do you qualify for an eternal reward or not? Now, no one can do that part for you, and there's no pastor can do that for you. There's no cell leader can do that for you. No one can do this for you. This is your life being evaluated. Notice it says... Uh, it says uh, very specific, he commanded these servants who, whom he'd given the money to be called to him that he might know how much everyone gained by trading. So these servants means all of the servants. Each servant had to appear before the nobleman and he said, I gave you this. What have you done with what I've given you? How have you used your time? How have you used your resources? Were you faithful or not? So the issue is not whether you're a servant. The issue is your stewardship, how you've conducted your life, what you've done with the time and the opportunities that are given to you. And uh, so every one of us also, like in the story, must give account. Jesus is telling when he comes, each of us who serve him must give an account of our lives. Romans 14, 12, each of us shall give an account of himself before God. Now, he's not interested in all the things you did wrong and all your faults and failures. That's not the thing he's interested in. God has made provision for all your failures at the cross. So we don't need to live in bondage to sin and dominated by sin. We're to live with eternity in mind and our stewardship in mind. We're to be uh, focused entirely on the outworking of his will and purpose in our life. What is in mind is, have I done that in a way that qualifies me for something? Am I qualified for a reward? Now, you need to understand about Jesus. Jesus was and is faithful. In Revelations 1 verse 5, he said, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now notice, Jesus has come into an exalted position of authority because he was a faithful witness to the Father in the earth. So notice then, Jesus himself is faithful. So now what God is looking for, he's not looking for all the great works. And that would be intimidating to you. And not only that, we don't have the same opportunities to do that, either in terms of the time available or in terms of where we're positioned in life. What God is looking for is, has this character quality of faithfulness been developed and cultivated in your life through the use of the time and opportunities that you do have? So it's not so much about what you've done, although that's included, but it's how you did it and what was in it, motivating it, and have you become, in the course of that time, faithful, because God has in mind the entrustment of much more. 
And so the next thing we see then is the rewards, the rewards we receive are eternal. So the outcome of our service and our time on the earth is one of two things. Either we're commended and rewarded in the coming kingdom. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are we going to be commended and rewarded? Well done, good and faithful servant, enter in. Or will we suffer rebuke and loss in the coming kingdom? You wicked servant. Now, when you read the word wicked, it tends to, you tend to think the word evil, but the, the original meaning of that is this. It means to be harmful in terms of influence and character, to be the cause of pain or anguish. In other words, it's looking from the perspective of God and his people. With all he's invested in you, how have you lived your life and how have you served? Has your life brought benefit and value and blessing and addition to others because you sacrificially gave yourself serving with no agenda to honour Jesus? Or have you wasted that opportunity and that time and the result is your life uh, brings a sorrow to the Lord because you're going to miss out. You don't qualify for what he always planned for you. It's going to bring a grief to him. And, and because your influence on other people was very negative. You know, passive, lazy, compromising Christians have a demoralizing effect. They take away the courage in the heart of others. That's why you can't make such a person your friend. They are not your friend. They're in a place where they'll actually eat out and erode your own passion for the Lord. You need to actually stand up and live a life that's very strong in the Lord. So the reward, here's the thing about the reward. Now the rewards in the coming kingdom are something I have to speak on in another time. They're very important you understand them. If you don't understand what you could possibly receive or possibly miss out on, then you're unlikely then to realign your life with those in mind. If you don't know how big the treasure is, so here's the thing about those rewards. They are irreversible once he's made his decision. Once you've come before the Lord, that decision is final. It's irreversible. It's unchangeable. Here's another thing. It will be visible to all men. Every person that's in that day will see exactly your true condition. How about that? And it'll be not only visible to all men, it'll be visible through all eternity. I'll have to explain and unpack that in another message sometime. But uh, so here's the thing. Your life on earth now is your internship, preparing for eternity. So how are you using your time? How are you investing your time? How are you using your gift and resources? What is your heart attitude to the assignment and the time you have? Now, here's a key issue on, this, on these servants here. A key issue on the servants uh, is this. What lies in you? The key issue is the heart behind the two different servants. Notice that one of the servants had gained 10 pounds, another had gained five, another one had just buried the pound, and now he still had it when the master came. Now here, what is the key difference in them? The key difference is not in the amount of work they did. The key difference lies in the heart. Your heart determines the choices you make in your life. So Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart diligently, for out of it are the limitations, the borders or boundaries of your life. Uh, the Bible also tells us that God is looking for a heart that is loyal to him so he can reward them. In 2 Chronicles 6.19, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So God is looking for someone whose heart is loyal, faithful, showing covenantal loyalty to him. In other words, the key issue is your loyalty. Loyalty leads to faithfulness in our assignments. So a loyal heart means shalom heart. 
a heart that's at peace with God, a heart that's at rest with God, a heart that's keeping covenant faithfulness. In other words, we realize we're bound by an eternal bond together and I will remain faithful to him no matter what my life consists of, no matter what happens to me. I really want to hear that comment. I really, uh, I really want to hear his commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, I just long for that day. Uh, and, and, and so notice the, the, uh, the, another insight you can gain on the servant here around the heart is this. You notice that when the, the, the servant came, he said, now, master, your pound has gained 10. The other one said, your pound has gained five. Now, notice, and, and, and the master's response was, well done, good servant. You are faithful and very little, have authority over 10 cities. And uh, so now, what kind of heart did the servant demonstrate? I'll just open this up a little more, then we're going to run out of time. So number one, a wise heart. He is a wise heart. Remember we said, use your time or redeem the time. That's what it means to be wise. Invest your time wisely. He has used his time and resources wisely. What made it wise? Because he had the master's interest at heart and he advanced his kingdom. Notice he places a high value on the relationship with the master and his assignment. In other words, he's a believer who values intimacy and values pleasing the master, and so he's investing his life to produce return on his behalf. Secondly, he's got not just a wise heart, a heart of wisdom, which is the primary thing to gain. Remember, Moses taught, he said, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. So he's developed a wise heart. A wise man fulfills what God has said. A wise man builds his life on obeying the word of God. His second thing is, he has an honoring heart. He calls him Lord. He has a deep reverence that comes out of intimacy and out of knowing him. Uh, thirdly, he has a pure heart. That's what he says, your pound. He doesn't say, well, look what I've done. See, a lot of people uh, proclaim, uh, it says in, in the book of Proverbs, you know, everyone will proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. In other words, most people, it's all about me. And notice he's saying your pound. So he understands that what he has is an entrustment. So there's no ego in this. There's no self-centeredness. And he says, Lord, what I have came from you. And look what you have achieved. Look what we have achieved together with what you've given. So notice there the purity of heart. Purity means no mixture. No mixture. Free from self-centeredness. Your pound. And notice then also what he has. He has a faithful heart. The master said, a well done good servant. That word good means upright and noble and honoring, bringing pleasure. And he says, you've been faithful in few things, faithful in little things. So notice there, a faithful heart. He's got a faithful heart. So it doesn't matter how much you have, it's what you do with it. It's not whether you have a lot or little, it's how you respond with what you have. And so we can demonstrate faithfulness in different areas. Uh, in Luke 16, verse 10 through to 12, if you're faithful in the least, you'll be faithful in much. So in other words, it's not the big ministry, it's the little serving. So if you can't do the little serving, you're not big enough to be big in the kingdom. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, be a servant. If you want to, if you want to be the greatest, be the servant of all. In other words, increase your serving and you increase your greatness. So it starts with just a little job. For me, a little job of making cups of tea. Do it well. <laughs> do it well and do it with a smile and do it with a good spirit. Do it on time and make it so people say, well, that was great. I really like this man doing that job. That's a great job. See? And uh, so it doesn't matter what it is. There's no limit on faithfulness. Faithfulness is your choice. You can choose to be faithful or not be faithful. So one is in little things. Another one, he says, if you can't be faithful in money, 
then how can you be faithful in true riches? So you notice money is the qualifier for true riches. True riches are things which are eternal. Money comes and goes. And so he's saying, if you can't manage your money properly, if you can't uh, handle your money well, honouring God with your money, tithing with your money, uh, giving with your money, uh, saving your money, investing your money, building with your money, if you can't handle money, then you can't handle your life. How can you be entrusted with the things God wants to entrust to you, true riches? He said, if you're not being faithful in another man's, who will give you that which is your own? So another man's refers, firstly, to the Lord, if you can't be faithful in the things God has given you, in little matters he's given you, how can you be faithful in big things? And, and that outworks where God puts you under someone, puts you under a cell leader, under a pastor, puts you under a boss, under a word. And if you can't serve them faithfully and handle what belongs to them and honor them and respect them and serve them so that your serving is a delight to them, you're a joy to them, your, your departing is a loss to them, then if you can't do that, how, how can you have something which is your own? In other words, you haven't got what it takes to build. You haven't got what it takes for something greater. And finally, uh, we notice he had a humble heart uh, because he was called a servant. All greatness in the kingdom requires that we humble ourselves to serve. Serving comes from humility. It says the very character of God is humility, which leads to serving. Jesus said, uh, he said, I am meek and humble in heart. He said, I came not to give my, uh, not to take life, but to give my life uh, a ransom for many. In other words, this is the very characteristic of the kingdom is humility that overflows in service. So we want to see a life that ends up commended by the Lord and rewarded. There are people in the Bible who rewarded Jesus at the end of his ministry in John 17, verse 4. He says, I have honored you, Father. I have completed the assignment you gave me. And now he's highly exalted, King of Kings, the Emperor. There's an example of Saul, King Saul at the end of his life in 1 Samuel 26 and verse uh, 21, he says, I have played the fool. I have made exceeding great mistakes. I've erred exceedingly. He was, uh, he was uh, slain in the battle and his crown was taken. His reward, his entitlement to rule was taken. Here's an example of Paul. Example of Paul at the end of his life, he said, henceforth for me is laid up a crown of righteousness. In other words, he said uh, in 2, 2 Timothy 1, uh, 4, verse 7, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, kept the faith, finally it is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give on that day, and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. Notice he said, is a laid up. Something's laid up means it's reserved, awaiting me. The word crown is uh, the word meaning a wreath, a prize given to the victor of the public games, a mark of royal or exalted rank, giving access into privileged role and position. There is so much in these stories. Notice then, we can make a choice if we have a life which is faithful, then we are entrusted much in the coming kingdom of God. The servant who held on to uh, his pound, who didn't produce anything with his pound, when he appeared before the master, uh, he was exposed, number one, for having a fearful heart. I was afraid, so I preserved myself. A self-centered heart. He did not have a heart of a servant. He had a heart that primarily looked out for himself. 
he considered he'd done a great job just holding what was given to him. In other words, still being there, still being a believer, still being a Christian, but he's not understanding that, no, no, when God sows something precious like the life of his son into you, he expects a harvest to come from that. He expects the seed that's sown in your life to produce a fruit. But for that to happen, you must commit yourself then to making the kingdom of God and loving him a priority in your life. So we can invest our time in things that produce an eternal reward, the commendation of the Lord when he comes and the rewards coming into his coming kingdom that are irreversible, that are eternal, that are visible to all men, and that's something that we will carry on forever and ever. Or we can suffer loss. We're still saved, but we miss the honor, the privileges, the status, the responsibilities, the level of authority, the things that God had planned to give to us as a result of graduating from our apprenticeship now are taken away from us. We're saved. We're glad to be saved, glad to be with the Lord. But there's a grief and a sorrow that all that we were potentially able to become and to have is now removed from us for eternity. And it's irreversible, it's unchangeable, it is seen by all, and it lasts for eternity. How are you investing your time? Just a couple of questions to get you thinking at the end of it. I have to leave out quite a bit. I was, I was going to share with you a bit about the crowns and, and how you can lose your crown and what the crowns are. You can study on that. Here's a few thoughts then. How long have you got to live? You know how long you got to live? Anyone tell me how long they got to live? Well, you don't know. That's the reality. So you don't know. Your time is running out. It's running out for all of us. Well, here's another thing. If you knew you had 80 years, how much have you spent already? If you're 20 years, you've spent 20-year-old, you've spent 25% of your life. If you're 40-year-old, you've spent 50% of your life. If you're a 60-year-old, you've done 75%. You're on your last 25%. It could be your best 25%. If you knew you only had one day to live, what would you change? If today you've got news, you've only got 24 hours, what would be important in your life? Now, the thing is, you realize it's important because your time's run out. And so you change your thinking. What it does mean is you must have been living under a delusion that I had all the time to do those things. You didn't place the importance on those things. Where, here's another question. Where is the arc of your choices taking you in your relationship with God? Closer, further away. Where is the arc of your choices taking you in your marriage, with your family, with your finances? In ministry, serving people, where is the arc of your decision taking you? Is it increasing or is it decreasing? Where is your time and life being stolen away? Have to look at social media. Is it stealing you away with click, click, clicks, swish, 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 taking all your time? At least you can go and have a look at those things. Netflix, TV, all of these things which are designed to keep you passive, keep you addicted, keep you out of the game, and to rob you of the things God planned for you. What are you doing there? Come on, let's get a, a change. What are the changes you need to make? Here's another question. What are the qualities of heart you should invest time in developing? Wisdom, a wise heart, honoring heart, a pure heart, faithful heart, a serving heart or a humble heart. See, so, so what do you need to develop? Why don't you make a decision today? This is important. This is for eternity. This is not about the things which I can see. This is about faith 
that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is about an eternity that he has prepared for me. Eyes not seen nor ear in, heard nor has entered into the heart of man. The wonderful things God has prepared for those who love him. Love him means covenantal faithfulness, faithfulness and loyalty to him. Do you need to make some changes? What are those changes? Why don't you right now, as we finish this meeting, stop let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart and start to apply your heart to wisdom, redeeming the time by investing where it will really count for eternity. God bless you.